Hello everybody, welcome to MHTV. Really pleased to have you with us today. Uh, we're going to be talking about money and mental health, a fantastic guest. But before we get started, let me um, hand over to Dave and he can tell you how you can join in tonight because obviously we really want to hear what you think too. Hey. Hi everyone. Yeah, thanks, Nikki. Uh, so, as always, there's a couple of ways that you can join in the conversation tonight. Uh, first is on our Facebook live feed. Obviously, all you need to do is wander over to the right side of the screen, type in any comments or questions, thoughts, uh, and obviously we'll try and uh, bring in as many as we can. Uh, the other option that you've got is over on Twitter. All you need to do is use the hashtag MHTV. Uh, we'll be searching for that throughout this evening uh, and we'll again bring in any comments or questions from there that we can. So, yeah, without further ado, straight back to you, Nikki. OK, so please welcome uh, Dr. Thomas Richardson. So, Thomas, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, hello. Uh, so I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm an associate professor at the University of Southampton. So I work on the doctorate there and the diploma in cognitive behaviour therapy. Uh, before that, I did about eight years in a community mental health team in the NHS or secondary care. Fantastic. Yeah. And we're going to be talking very much about money, um, mental health and sort of like the psychological links between the two. So yes. what, what led you to become interested in that particular topic? Yeah, so I guess I've always been you know, quite interested in inequalities in mental health. Uh, and when I was a student, I was working in Dublin, I was working um, kind of a peer support network to try and support students with depression. And we were kind of piloting online discussion boards, that kind of things, you know, the days before Facebook, um, and et cetera. And I knew from that, you know, just when we were doing some research about what what predicts mental health, I knew from that that there was a link between finances and mental health in students, mm. not surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of started really when I was training to be a a clinical psychologist I was on the doctorate here at Southampton and um it's quite funny really I was it was a snow day and I was at a study day and I was a little bit bored and back then it was at the time so this would have been about 2010 uh there was all the discussion from the the newly formed coalition mm. conservative lived on coalition about whether to increase the tuition fees mm. and now obviously that was quite you know, a lot of debate, quite controversial for a lot of reasons because of the Lib Dem saying they wouldn't do that, etc. So there was a lot of media about it and discussion. And I was a bit annoyed that why weren't why is no one talking about the potential mental health and health impact of this? If yeah. we're talking about nearly tripling the impact, the you know, tuition fees yeah. from one year to the next and more than doubling the amount of debt students were in, I thought, well, this is probably going to have an impact. So I wrote a letter to the psychologist, which is like a magazine slash journal mm. one of the papers saying why why is no one talking about this uh one of the people i referenced got in touch and said should we put this theory to the test and that became my doctorate thesis and <laughs> that's the rest is history as they say mm. um and so as part of my yeah but i did look to that for my thesis did, did it impact mental health mm. Mm. and it feels like intuitively as you were saying it feels like it would but what did you find? What links did you find between sort of money problems and mental health? Yeah. So I guess we've known for quite a while that yeah, people from kind of low, you know, low socioeconomic status, I guess, however you define oh. that, whatever that means, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. are more at risk of developing a range of mental health problems, you know, including stuff like psychosis. Mm. I think more more recently, people have digged a little bit into thinking about you know, what particularly about that is it and the more kind of you know, there's so there's the kind of growing up in a deprived household, but actually, and there's a lot of risk factors that come for that with mental health. For example, if you're in a 
you know a high crime area that kind of thing mm. uh, but thinking about the more kind of here and now financial impact uh, mm. so yeah there is unfortunately as you you know it's probably not surprising and it's one of those things where i don't think there's enough research in the area there is a really strong link so one of the things i did for my thesis a meta-analysis so statistically pulling together everything that's been done mm. and looking at that relationship between debt and mental health and you're more than three times as likely to be in debt if you have a mental health problem or looking at it the other way you know you're more mm. time than three times as likely to have a mental health problem when you're in debt mm. and that that's the same for specific mental health problems like depression psychosis Mm. Uh, substance use problems mm. and also for unfortunately for for suicide attempts and completed suicide you know um mm. there's there's a very high prevalence of problem debt in people who do mm. take their own lives in terms of the students so i what i did was a, a a sort of perspective cohort study so i compared the people who started university the year before the fees increased and the year after the fees increase so I kind of had a natural kind of study there because of this government change and I followed them up at four time points over the first four the first year of university first year or two of university so four time points and they did measures about finances and measures about mental health and actually there wasn't much of a difference which was not what I was expecting Mm. so at four of those time points there was only a difference based on this tuition fees, how much tuition fees you're paying at one of those time points. Um, and you know, we also got to compare to Scottish students um, who who don't have to pay fees, and that there was only a difference at one time point. So overall, not that big. But mm. when you look at the whole group, so take the tuition fees and the student loan out of the equation, mm. and you ask people about how much they were struggling to pay the bills, I've had to borrow money, I've had to go without, you know, turn the heating down, go without um, food, meals, etc. That strongly predicted uh, lots of mental health outcomes. So, you know, and chicken and egg thing, we were able to look at those changes in time. So we could say that actually the people at the start of the study who were more, you know, financially struggling, their depression and anxiety got worse over time. You know, so it wasn't, we could try and see that actually seem to have a role so that happened for depression and for alcohol problems and for general kind of mental health also for risk of psychosis and risk of eating disorders that all increased over time um, for people who were struggling more you know after you'd controlled for age and gender uh, there were some of the outcomes the students who were from poorer families their mental health also tend to deteriorate to an extent it worked both ways to an extent Mm. uh so we also so we found for example for eating disorders there was a bit of a vicious cycle where struggling to pay the bills increased your risk of you know anorexia etc over time Mm -hmm. but also those who were struggling with their eating and body image Mm -hmm. issues their Mm -hmm. finances were more likely to deteriorate so Mm -hmm. um in a nutshell what i took from that is it, it what appears to be more relevant than thinking about uh how much debt you're going to be in in a few years is how much you can pay the bills at the moment but yeah i mean my hypothesis and i'm trying to test this out now it it's it might be that the this increase in tuition fees doesn't have a big impact in the first year at university when hopefully you're getting into your studies Mm -hmm. and meeting people and having fun Mm -hmm. um but i wonder if it might change over time you know those people are going to be in their late 20s now and 
that's one of the studies I'm doing if mm. is um trying to think about what about now you know people mm. who have been living with their student loan now how does that affect them um mm. so I, I started with students and I've moved more you know because of my job in mental health services thinking about it in at the more kind of sharper end of the spectrum in terms mm. of more severe and enduring mental health mm. so it's, you made some really interesting points there um and obviously one of the one of the real issues with research is you can see that they're linked but you don't necessarily know what that mechanism is mm -hmm. have i mean and one of the things I guess I was thinking about is when you were talking about the kind of people born into low incomes um, um, growing up in, in poverty is that kind of we've, we've seen studies before talking about kind of the cognitive load of, of being less well off than mm. the stress that causes. Yeah. And also, I think it kind of feeds into the stuff around adverse childhood experiences as well, ACEs. Yeah. So we know that having having an experience of poverty is something which which is the same which has the same kinds of problems that other types of abuse or, or mistreatment or horrible experiences can have on somebody and we've just seen that um that uh, report about that young kid who died because he was in a, a home with black mold so because it's perhaps not yes, just that's true, yeah. mental state it's actual physical you know it's like a whole experience of of being less likely to thrive yeah it puts you at a, all sorts of different disadvantages mm. yeah maybe mm. more likely to yeah be mm. a victim of crime etc yeah. So that, that it, yeah, it's complicated, and I think I Absolutely. I started off saying that I research the link between debt and mental health. But the more, you know, the classic thing where the more you, the more you uh, research it, and the more you find out, the more you mm. feel like you know nothing because it's so complicated. Because it's yeah. it's not just about debt and mental health; mm. it's about how much you can pay the bills, mm. and it's about how stressed you are about your finances. And it's mm. about, yeah, it's about mm. the, the background you come from and poverty mm. and inequality and it gets very confusing. Um, mm. But there are, uh, so as a psychologist, I'm interested in those psychological mechanisms and I'm very interested in thinking about it as a vicious cycle. You know, all of the people watching here, working in mental health services, mm. you know, we know that all, all of our clients, we all get stuck in vicious circles and yeah. finances isn't any different. And there is evidence to back this up, you know, so... Yeah. You're struggling to pay the bills mm -hmm. that makes you feel depressed if you're depressed you tend to avoid the world you mm -hmm. know it's, it, it's hard to focus it's hard to concentrate like you said about the cognitive load it impacts yeah. your decision making mm -hmm. so that's going to impact your ability to manage finances you know mm -hmm. so I, I did some work with bipolar disorder where it's literally in the diagnostic criteria mm -hmm. to the impulse spending is common yeah. but again there's really not there wasn't a lot of research out there about that Mm -hmm. um, and I would did a, a study where we kind of we combined you know quantitative looking at those relationships over time mm -hmm. and also the qualitative interviewing people and there was some stuff there which was you know expected like impulse spending was a common thing yeah um but there was other stuff which I hadn't expected like uh excessive generosity when people are manic so buying friends for mm -hmm. gifts for loved one yeah uh giving loads of money away to charity yeah. and then people saying yeah not surprisingly that when I'm depressed I you know I let the bills pile up and then I chuck them in a bin it feels mm. too much mm. uh, so it's it's complicated and I've got a whole model just for bipolar disorder and finances mm. and uh, often it serves a, a function that's one of the things I've taken away from the research I've done we actually found that these um, the kind of high standards and need to achieve which are quite common in people who are bipolar that predicted impulse spending mm. 
and actually so did being broke so basically mm. uh, you're struggling to pay the bills and then you have a bit of a big idea maybe a get rich quick scheme that is quite impulsive and so you spend money to make money and it it kind of backfires you know so um often there's a there's a reason behind the impulse spending and people get themselves into these vicious cycles as well as you know if you are if you do have a serious mental health problem it's, it can be hard to hold down a job and you might rely on benefits and you might have to you know yeah. get a lower paid job gig economy etc i think you can't take away as well the the impact of, of being at the massive benefits system as well with it suddenly starting stopping people then having to wait a month to get their finances restarted again and yeah. if you're living hand to mouth you only need and you've got very fine incoming and outgoing you only need a slight disruption to cause absolute chaos yeah absolutely and uh it, that living month to month is is very stressful isn't it and week to week, uh, yeah. you know week to week even yeah and when there was the you know, I guess we we were we were fortunate that we got the during COVID we had the um, furlough scheme. You know, I was I, I just did a special edition about finances and mental health for a journal. We had a paper from Bangladesh, and one of the factors was having no income during the pandemic, which is you know. So we, I guess, developing world, we're fortunate we had some, and still it was most of the time it was like eighty percent, isn't it? You know, and eighty percent is not enough of of what they usually live on is not enough for a, a lot of people. Mm. So that uncertainty, you know, uncertainty and anxiety go hand in hand, mm. unfortunately. And uh, that lack of uncertainty, it's very, it's just very uncertain at the moment, isn't it? You know, it's just today, 11% inflation worse than 40 years. Um, mm. So the uncertainty is difficult. I think one of the other factors I've found in my research that links the two, and that's, as a psychologist, that's what I'm interested in, because... Mm. I can't, I'm not an economist. Mm. I'm not a financial advisor. Mm. Don't come to me for advice on budgeting. I'm not, you know, sometimes people yeah. approach me for, can you give us advice about budgeting? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Don't ask me. Um, yeah. So I'm more interested in the links of mental health and that in particular, those, those psychological links. So one is hopelessness, mm. you know, which we know is mm. linked to depression. It's linked to suicidality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we actually showed in a study that that link between struggling to pay the bills was kind of mediated it was linked by hopelessness and a real clear finding in the literature is that actually what's kind of a stronger predictor of you know mental health and depression isn't how much you're struggling to pay the bills and how much debt you're in it's how much you're worried about it and how mm. stressed you are about it yeah. and that varies you know mm. 200 quid overdraft is mm. a huge amount for some whereas mm. 10 grand debt is mm. Mm. not a particularly big deal for other people it just varies so mm. that hopelessness feeling like there isn't a way out that's that really does turn um you know the, the mental health into the financial struggles into poor mental health and the other one is shame mm. how ashamed people were mm. if you're ashamed about your financial situation that was um, linked to poor mental health as well so mm maybe those are things that we can work on you know mm. and there's other things that you know in a positive way there's things that mitigate it if you feel like you are able to take some kind of positive action you know sort of positive problem solving mm. it's another piece of research which we looked at all the research if you feel like you can do something about it you can um, take action to to change it you know so um i have some sense of control over it 
and I can do something active to cope with my financial situation rather than burying my head in the sand. That's protected uh, as well as self-esteem. So if you can kind of get some self-esteem and confidence um, about other sources, other than the fact that, you know, you're broke, that's protective as well. So it's not all doom and gloom. There's, you know, yeah. if you it, guess hopelessness is part of it. If we can make people feel a little bit more hopeful, mm. I appreciate that's hard at the moment. Yeah. That mm. mitigates. Mm. If we can pe- make people feel a little bit less ashamed, that also mitigates it. And, you know, at the moment, why should you be ashamed about struggling to pay the bills? Who isn't? You know, mm. that's why I'm doing this stuff. You know, I mm. I would like it if we had. I mean, there are some banks actually, in fairness, saying about cost of living and that kind of thing. There are billboards, which is good. And I, why don't we have billboards saying about the impact on mental health? Because we need to destigmatize it. We need, we don't want people. I sh- people shouldn't feel ashamed, mm. and we want people to try and reach out for help. Mm. I guess as well, it's there's st- lots of stuff in there for sort of staff, people who are facing clinically, because if you're looking at people feeling ashamed, maybe they're not going to share struggling absolutely yeah and the last thing you want is for somebody who is tired exhausted not seeing a way forward and not feeling that they can talk about what's happening for them and as well i guess i'm trying to think how it feel for me having dependence i would think would increase that real anxiety and stress about how to provide Mm. it kind of undermines your role as a as a as a parent or as a carer if you can't put food on the table very easily so you know, I know I've come across people who um, are feeding children instead of themselves. Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously, yeah. you know, that's, I'm not criticising that at all. I think I'm stunned by people's capacity to love and to yeah. cope. But I guess there's something about, you know, we should be, we need to be checking in on people, maybe in quite, quite open ways. Like say, this is a, this is a time when a lot of people are struggling. Is that something yeah. that's true for you? Absolutely. We need, to, I think that's a really important point mm-hmm. because, you know, people might, people get might be like why are you asking me about my finances you know mm. in this mental health team mm. and, and I, I've been I've been training some staff to I've been training staff actually the other way around I'm working with like debt advice service to ask about suicidal thoughts mm. um, and the, it's just saying I know this is a financial advice service I'm asking because of the strong link mm. like we talked about there you're three times more likely so I mm. think in mental health service we also need to ask look um you know if we're thinking about holistic care we need to ask about finances generally Mm. but especially in the current economic climate and it's just about saying this is why we know that there's a strong link Mm. we know you might be struggling secondary care a lot of people are reliant on you know on benefits Mm. so it's going to be even harder to make ends meet Mm. Um, and yet we there's there's such a strong link in a vicious cycle we're not going to get anywhere if you know we try and do the work on the finances and then your mental health or work on your mental health and then on the finances you know Mm. it's a similar thing that happens about substance use and mental health you know that kind of redundant model of go and sort your drinking out and then come and sort out your depression well i'm drinking because i'm depressed i'm depressed because you know so you need to work on them together right Mm. it's the same with finances Mm. now i appreciate structurally services aren't really set up in that way um, but the m- closer we link, the better, mm. you know, there was actually a trial which they had to abandon because it just fell flat where mm. it was just people who were depressed were given a debt advice flyer. And if mm. someone's depressed and you're just given a flyer, you know, yeah, will they ring that? Don't know, probably not. Mm. Okay, so uh, 
if you can actually get someone from the citizens advice bureau in the mental health team for half a day a week yeah. and then it's not just ring this anonymous number it's you know yeah this is this is karen she works with the financial advice she's linked mm-hmm. with our team it's mm-hmm. It's just, you know, the more you can link services, the the less friction you have, you know, absolutely. so people don't fall between the gaps, um, the better. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. We should be asking, um, you know, where I used to work, we used to have it as standard in a kind of initial assessment letters about financial situation and asking about debt. We used to have as standard when people are discharged from the ward or the crisis team mm-hmm. about, you know, housing is quite standard, but finances mm-hmm. um, within that as well. And and don't assume your clients are going to know because yeah they they might not feel like they're able to bring it, but mm. it's relevant to your mental health. Of course it is. Mm. And I don't can't... assume don't assume your clients are going to know. I I can I've talked to people who are in up to their eyeballs in debt and mm. really depressed. Mm. And when you go, do you think those two are related? They go, well, I haven't really thought about it, but mm. yeah, you know, some will definitely know. Some just you know, it's their reality. They they don't mm. really see it. Sorry, what were you going to say there? Oh, I was going to say there can't be a single person who's worked in the community who hasn't had that awful moment of going around to someone's house who's depressed and then giving you like a plastic bag full of like red notices. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. This is information I yeah. could have used a month ago. And I mean, you I hope to get straight yeah. in, but you can understand why, can't you? When someone's absolutely at peak capacity for coping, all they mm. can do is just keep going. When you start to get this stuff through post, I can understand why it just goes into a bag. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, uh, but so can manage it. Yeah, but you you don't have to be a financial advisor yourself to just go right. Let's just this is a big bag, but you know, as we did in CBT, one step at a time. Let's just focus mm. on one of those, mm. see how that goes, and work our way up. That's going to help them. You know, those little changes. Being made homeless for sure in in this crisis. And I suspect that's going to go up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think the people watching here, hopefully, they know about, but maybe they don't is the breathing space initiative um, where if you are believe it's if you are under a crisis team or you're in a ward for mental health then you yeah you they can't be sent those red letter notices they have to freeze the interest bailiffs can't come knocking on your door etc mm. um and that's I really good everybody does know about that yeah because i've told people before and they've been like what this is useful information I'm like you're yes. in a crisis yeah. team how do you not know this yeah so yeah. we'll tweak that out that's a really useful thing and uh, there's also there's also if you just search for the debt and mental health evidence form there's also you can as a mental health professional any mental health professional or gps do it as well um fill it in you know and it's what is the impact of mental health on finances and vice versa and you can send that to the creditor be that council be that um you know Mm -hmm. parking fine be that a major creditor Mm -hmm. and they should take that into account you know they do have a duty of care they are mm. meant to look after vulnerable customers. Mm. So that's another important practical thing that mm. people can do, which um, maybe not everyone knows about. Yeah. yeah. I think as well, they've, they've, it's only really been in the last, I think, about six years that banks have started to get on board with much better care for people who are vulnerable. Um, yeah. We, with mm. people like and money and mental health and people like that who've yeah. really helped to say i mean i can remember being on ward managing and having people who were clearly unwell who were under section being mm. sent credit cards to a ward to a mental health hospital and you're like really what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. so i mean like that was a little bit of a discussion there but um, yeah 
Yeah. I, I, it's extraordinary to me what people have got away with and the fact that they're only just slightly, you know, we're just coming around to the fact that actually you can't make someone sicker. You need to you need to stop that kind of behaviour. Yeah. And it's a shocking time step. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, bipolar disorder is a case in point where mm. people can rack up huge amounts of debt. And, mm. uh, you know, I have uh, I have bipolar disorder myself, so this is a particular interest for me. Yeah. Um, I'm coming to talk to you in a few weeks about bipolar disorder. Mm. This is an yeah. intersection of my two <laughs> interests, finance and mental health and bipolar. And yeah. um, that can be especially destructive because people can spend like 10 grand in a day just like that. And to them, it's a good idea. So I am mm. I am trying to work on technology solutions. Mm. You know, we've just published a paper where we're um, looking at kind of technology as a solution rather than a problem for impulse spending because the problem is everything's frictionless you can amazon can save your car details and you can buy stuff with your thumbprint or your face id you could just do it at the click of a button can't you the you know you you order everything online so impulse spending is just ridiculously easy and that's a huge it's ridiculously easy for everybody but it is yeah 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 so and he's awake all night maybe other people aren't around it's just so yeah. much that could could yeah. go wrong there and the comfort spending that was another thing comfort spending buying stuff to make yourself kind of feel better so we're trying mm-hmm. to work on technology as a solution there you know they've there are gambling blocks now which is brilliant i mean um mm-hmm. i want to try and do something similar for bipolar disorder you know can we mm-hmm. try and do something similar because um something we're working on now we, you know data we've got collected a mm-hmm. huge proportion of people with bipolar have gone bankrupt because of impulse mm-hmm. spending it's really shocking and actually you're talking about you know providers doing more that's not in their interest either if someone goes bankrupt they lose that debt like nobody wins here nobody wins everyone loses mm. yeah so i i think there is progress and yeah you said about money mental health policy institute um which is set up by martin lewis they, they're doing amazing work and it was them who kind of got that breathing initiative legislation on the agenda so they're re- doing really good work. This is life-saving yeah. for people. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So, um, Dave, did you want to ask any questions? Because we're like chatting away without you here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been interesting to listen longer. And I suppose one of those things that often happens is kind of every time you think, oh, that'd be a question I'd ask. And then Tom answers it before you even <laughs> ask the question. Sorry. Because one of the things I was was going to highlight was the bit about uh, you did mention that you're not a financial advisor, so you, you know you can't really give financial advice. But where do we send people? Where do we point people towards? Uh, and one of the things I was going to say is, you know, and, and kind of link this to my past career as a health visitor. Yeah. Obviously, one of the things I'd spend a lot of time with. Uh, although it's not the first line of my job description, would be supporting families with debt. Uh, yeah. and, and kind of sometimes just being that person that can say, look, I know everything in this bag at the moment looks terrible, but we can look at addressing those things. You know, take that moment. Don't don't sort of like rush to, to feel everything's terrible. You know, let's think about how we can start to break up these things so it's more manageable and start to address these things. Uh, and, and one of the things that I would have done at the time would be kind of point towards uh, the advice that Martin Lewis kind of provided previously around mental health and debt. And obviously he went on to to create the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute. Uh, I suppose, you know, as, as a health professional, where are the go-to places where they can, you know, point people to or maybe even more, 
you know, help them access those places. Yeah, yeah. So you said about Martin Lewis, he did on his Money Saving Expert, there's a whole information pack about money and mental health links. I think the Money and Pension Service has also done one. Uh, there's the Money Advice Money and Mental Health Advice Service, which has some kind of budgeting tools that are fairly kind of simple. In terms of financial advice, yeah, uh, go-to ones are Citizens Advice Bureaus, which will be, uh, there's kind of one wherever you are, they're kind of local. I'm doing some work with them at the moment, and they they all do fab work. Step Change as well, you can call, and uh, Christians Against Poverty, they're some of the big ones. They're, and they're completely free and they're completely independent as well. I think people do need to be careful. Sometimes you can Google debt advice and people might get moved towards these kind of debt repayment orders that actually aren't in their favour, whereas you know places like Citizens Advice are completely independent. They, they don't get, you know, they don't get commissioned from getting a debt advice order or something like that. So I think they're they're kind of the the best places at the moment. You know, I do appreciate it. It's hard, and you have had people like Martin Lewis saying it's, and I think someone from Step Change recently saying as well, it is quite hard in the current climate to say how much to, um, what to offer people at the moment. But again, trying to tackle both. You know, trying to tackle both and as an professional if you if you know they're depressed and they're burying their head in the sand yeah i mean i'd i'd, I'd say can you ring them yeah can you ring them now right here okay i'm gonna sit here while you ring them yeah. um you know just just trying to kind of encourage people and i think there's the, you know there's some other things there we kind of picked up picked on it up a little bit but it's about making those small little steps you know graded exposure facing those fears it can feels completely overwhelming mm. you know, that whole bag nikki like you said of, of yeah. bills so just start with one mm. see how that goes start with two build you know way up and that will slowly chip away make you feel a little bit more confident and a little bit more um like mm. it is like it is manageable mm. i think like i said about the shame we want to make people um yeah want to reduce kind of how, how ashamed people are just normalize actually how many people are going through this at the moment so people aren't yeah. criticizing themselves yeah. and beating themselves up yeah. i think that that shame issue is pretty fascinating isn't it? And, and i think before the current cost of living crisis uh one of the kind of things that you kind of felt happened was that for some people kind of the, the there would be the kind of well you deserve to be unhappy about this because you have spent all this money and it's your own fault that you spent this money. And therefore, you know, why should you be helped out of the situation? Because it's a situation that you've created yourself. You know, you've got yourself into it, so you have to get yourself out of it. And I think that kind of bit about the, the strivers and the skivers, you know, there's that kind of narrative as well, isn't there? That obviously you, you must be poor because you're lazy, you're feckless, you don't, you know, put any effort into making you, your position better. When actually what we know is that there's huge poverty in, you know, the sixth biggest country, you know, sixth richest country uh, for, you know, people in work. The majority of people that claim benefits are people claiming in work benefits because yeah. the wages that they get are so such a poverty wage that they have to claim money on top of that. And, and I think what's really sad is. Uh, you know, what we've faced over the last few weeks in terms of healthcare professionals coming forwards and talking about their poverty and how they need, you know, restorative pay rises to try and 
sort of recoup some of that money that's been cut over the last uh, 10 or so years. Uh, and Aldeth has uh, put a comment on uh, the Facebook page. I'm a nurse and I'm worried about paying bills on my wage, let alone our families. You know, that kind of, you know, even the people that are there to help are really stressed and scared about this kind of stuff. And I think what we've seen, you know, the last few days is kind of, you know, commentators sort of finding nurses that are talking about not having enough money and then going through the social media and saying, ah, but you went on holiday six months ago. So, you know, you can't be poor because you went on holiday six months ago. And again, that kind of shaming of poverty that, you know, if you've ever enjoyed anything in your life, then how can you be poor? Yeah, well... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, <laughs> and I agree with that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you you should be able to have those little pleasures in life, shouldn't you? It shouldn't have to be that choice between the bare essentials. Yeah. And it is, unfortunately, at the moment, you know, um, people using food banks in work, um, as you say. Yeah, and I think there's the other thing that, I mean, I, this is my hunch. I don't think there's any direct evidence to back this up, but we know there's a lot of evidence about inequality and mental health. Mm. and uh, i i think probably that kind of self-criticism and shame is maybe part of that because if you yeah if you are i'm working you know 60 hours a week and i still can't i still racking up debt i still can't make ends meet and then you see other people who are you know living that life and going on the fancy holiday and buying a new car etc because that's still happening even in the current economic climate it's it's very it's very hard to take isn't it It, it, so um, that can comparing self to others you know there is a really shocking correlation between how unequal a country is yeah. and how much mental health there is and various other problems you know the if you haven't read um the spirit level yeah, yeah. you should read that <laughs> um, you know um louis apple was set talking the other day about um you know how the suicide map and the poverty map just yeah it's not a shock that this happens so i guess because it can feel terribly overwhelming can't it when you look at a complex problem like this but it's a it's a human problem and there are things that staff have in terms of skills that will be helpful because we're breaking it down into organization stuff you know if you're if you're if you're any kind of health professional you can organize you can talk to someone you can stop someone from feeling alone when you do an assessment you're not going to just scream oh this person has a job so they'll be fine you know that people can be poor and and yeah. working really hard um, yeah. and again this idea from that now we've really thought through maybe some of the issues around kind of um, shame and the isolation that that can bring and that feeling of hopelessness and tiredness that people get it's almost exactly the same thing as, as physical pain in terms of pushing people towards depression anxiety suicide mm. suicidal thoughts so we know we need to talk about that and yeah. all stuff I've, I've had a, a message from one of the students saying i feel a bit embarrassed talking about money we talk oh, about it's a british thing isn't it? we talk about people's wish to die yeah we can talk about cash it's not going to kill us yeah <laughs> I think it's important to, to just to just think the skills that you have in one area and your humanity, you know, your ability to empathise people, that stuff can transfer over. You don't need necessarily a whole new training to do something that you do in different areas. It's about remembering to sort of bring it all together, I think. Yeah. We are very near the end. Um, so I guess it would be really helpful to know what kind of, if there's anything people can can look look forward to coming down the line that could be helpful, any kind of future work that's coming. And then we'll just sum up with our last thoughts on that. So back to you, Thomas. Is there thing, things in development? Yeah. 
I mean, I've got, I can sort of share in the chat or afterwards, I've got mm. a couple of studies if people want to help out, I'd appreciate that. Um, one is for, those. yeah, which is, uh, yeah, if people want to help out with these studies. And uh, things to work out, well, I've got a, a report hopefully coming out soon, which is going to be on this area and that, that mm. should, uh, and how it impacts a particular kind of group. And mm. I can't say much more than that at the moment, but that should be really um, interesting and helpful, hopefully. I'm, I'm really working on these kind of tech solutions. Um, and trying to, you know, we're trying to a, a piece of software I wrote, which is trying to tackle those psychological links between them. It's being used in the NHS now in a lot of IAPTs. It's called Space and Money Worries. And we're going to see if we can use it in financial advice as well. So outside mm -hmm. of the NHS. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to work on tech solutions and to prevent the impulse um, spending as well. But I do feel like this is this is on the agenda. And um, yeah, I think people just need to keep asking about this, explaining why they're asking about it and um yeah keep advocate for your patients and yourself you know mm -hmm. fill in that form if you feel like their debt is impacting them that kind of thing mm -hmm. and and it was talk about it you know you said we don't talk about it mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a bit of a british thing isn't it maybe not talking about money um, mm -hmm. but you can say you're struggling financially there's there's no shame in that yeah absolutely um Dave, is there anything that you wanted to sort of finish up with uh, I've been really busy tonight doing lots of typing. Hopefully people can follow the Twitter thread with uh, hopefully some helpful links. Uh, I suppose we know that tomorrow's kind of a big day in the world of finance. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever they're calling it at the moment, I don't think they're allowed to call it a budget, still are they, you know, the fiscal event or whatever. Maybe won't be as tumultuous. Yeah. <laughs> maybe won't be as tumultuous as the one that we saw with the was it the last prime minister or the one before that a few weeks ago uh when uh you know uh i can't remember name now liz truss was uh you know sort of throwing all caution to the wind but but what we probably do know uh is how much hunt's been talking about uh the kind of the cuts that will be coming next uh, and what we sadly know is that, you know, however they dress it up, it will fall most heavily on those that have the least broad shoulders to cope with it. Uh, and the pressure that that will put on our members uh, and all the other people out in the health service will become even more kind of, you know, pressurised to deal with it. Uh, but what we know, uh, you know, and, and I know Tom's already given some examples tonight, is that, you know, there's so many people trying to do so much good work in this area and to push back against it. Uh, and I suppose wherever we can be an ally to that work and to help, then, you know, obviously it's it's emboldened on, on us to do it. Uh, just, you know, that breathing space, like you said, it, you know, it didn't came, it didn't come through sort of the the graciousness of a government minister turning around and saying, oh, I'll, I'll be nice this, this month and do something that could be quite helpful. It came through, you know, kind of the misery of people, uh, you know, had had personal tragedy because of the the problems, uh, and through charities and organisations fighting back against it. So, you know, obviously, if if people can support those organisations and, uh, you know, give them time and effort, then then hopefully, you know, we can start to improve things. Uh, and again, hopefully, you know, there is, uh, you know, light on the horizon where, you know, the the that hopefully the political sort of situation will change that you know obviously the conservatives have had you know a, a real battering and, and hopefully that will continue when they you know bringing in uh policies that are doing great damage to our society and those that are poorest uh so hopefully not too negative there hopefully there was enough threads of of hope in in what i've said 
Uh, but again, you know, great to hear Thomas's thoughts tonight and uh, looking forward to when you come back in a couple of weeks time to, to cover another subject. Absolutely. So if anyone does have any questions that we haven't been able to get to tonight, feel free to tune back in again. So um, next week we've got uh, Norquil, so that's qualitative um, researchers talking about the drivers and influence within um, career choices within nursing and pharmacy. After that, we've got the Mental Health Deserves Better team. And then we have Thomas back again. So please do um, feel free to look at the Twitter Twitter feed, um, inform yourselves, make sure you stick together. Um, and this is something that we will take in our stride. So I would say try not to worry because like worry is a very, very reasonable option right now. But um, no one's by themselves with this. So thank you very, very much for your time. Um, we'll try and stop Dave being so depressing maybe in the future but again any suggestions for that gratefully received yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the christmas episode nikki you never know <laughs> <laughs> everyone weeping but again please do inform yourselves all the work that thomas has been doing is so interesting so exciting so useful and helpful please do um read it inform yourselves and use it to 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 be advocates for other people and again thanks for your time and we wish you a good night good night guys See you next week thanks for having me bye-bye bye-bye